Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. I am your temporary host, That's right. Alan Paris, joined by the... Let's think, how do I want to do this today? Joined by the... Come on, come on. Let's do, let's do, let's do the Steve Martin and Chevy Chase to my Martin Short. Oh, my goodness. I was Anthony Ianni and Brian Traeger. I'm thinking Johnny Carson. I'm old enough to remember him, right? It took me, I'm sorry, it took me a second to think about it. I just need to, I'm, I'm a little slow today. My lovely 13-month-old had a fever all last night. So oh, no. um, there was more rocking and cradling than there was sleeping. So, uh, but I'm, I, I think that works for today. You guys okay with the three amigos being the, being the reference? Oh yeah. Close to holding the mighty triumvirate. I don't care. Yeah. There you go. For, uh, excited to have you. If you're new to clear to close, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and shoot us a review of what you thought of this episode, but excited today. I said temporary host because our very own Anthony Ianni AI is going to take over host duties today. I am. And I... I cannot tell you how happy I am that I have to be the most today. Why are you happy, Alan? Come on. Just, you know, there's, I think it's just, uh, it's just another level of air traffic control that I'll probably just do very poorly that I have to think about in every episode. So I'm super excited just to play Q&A and, and let you manage the the herd of cats that is uh, this, this podcast. That's so funny because... Allison says the same thing. She's like, we really need a new host, either you, AI, or Traeger. So, yeah. So this actually fits very... We had this conversation a couple of days ago. Sorry, Allison. Yeah. Actually, it was Allison and Allison's mom who was in this. (laughs) We listened to our listeners. Absolutely. What we'll do do is we'll give a grade at the end of it on how you did as host so a grade maybe we can have the listeners greatest <laughs> asking for trouble asking for trouble i'm feeling giddy today man phillies last night seven zip five home runs another night at the park in south philly let's and go a, and a and a, a stronger uh trend towards financial collapse in the economy if you can so what your, what your pleasure is everyone else's pain and it's all about the phillies <laughs> Well, uh, real quick before we jump in, where AI can just take us on this beautiful path of of our podcast today, I want to give thanks to our sponsor and beloved employer that makes this all possible, Maxwell. Maxwell's mortgage optimization platforms provide lenders forward-thinking technology and solutions to empower the entire mortgage duration process from application for clear to close into the secondary market. Um, to learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax.highmaxwell.com. AI. We like it. So let's let's roll. So last week was NBA. Maxwell had a, a heck of an experience there. Sadly, I did not make the conference no, for whatever reasons it was. But, you know, Brian and, and Alan, you guys were prowling the halls and prowling the streets of Nashville. So what was your overall take on the conference? What was what was the general feeling? So I'll maybe start. The first thing I'll say, one of the biggest takeaways of the conference is not necessarily in regards to the NBA, but is purely in regards to the city of Nashville. Mm-hmm. I am blown away at the number of people that are out partying at the honky tonks in Nashville every single night and every single day. Isn't like wonderful. I I've I've been there before for 
a couple of bachelor parties. It was always on the weekends. So I just assume this is just what it's like on the weekends. That little strip in the in the city is unreal, like on a Monday night. And I'm not talking because of the NBA volume that was there and the people that were there. It is just people who are out in the honky tonks on Monday night. So that was maybe learning number one for me was how insane Nashville is of the city. Alan, that's funny. That's where you started because I agree. And it's so funny. You can kind of see the different crowds of folks move in from the, oh, yeah. Sunday. the Sunday crowd is different than the Monday and Tuesday. And I'm sure totally. the, the weekend crowd that you were used to is a bit different too. And, but you're right. They're ready to, ready to party, ready to listen to the best music right there at any door on Broadway. And I was pleasantly surprised on the perfect weather as well. I'm a Midwestern, yeah. so I love talking about weather. And it was just absolutely perfect for an October day. It was, yeah. it was pretty amazing. It yeah, is, you're, you're very right. You're very right on the different crowds. So you had NFL fans on Sunday combined with, I think it was Lizzo who was having a concert down the road. So there was that, those two groups. She's a Midwesterner too. Yeah. Which was, which was a, a very interesting group. And then come Monday, it became a lot of the vibe was probably like, retired people who are on like just vacations and like just sitting in and listening to music and honky tonks. But regardless, every day was just slammed. It is a great way to do it is you go on a Monday through Wednesday because it's, there's less people of course than on a Saturday night and you're going to get the same music. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing every night. Right. Yeah. 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 I enjoyed the Monday through Wednesday crowd in Nashville. That's if I go, I'm not doing Thursday or whatever. I'm doing Monday to Wednesday. Got to tell you, it's a wonderful place. I worked for, you know, a long time ago, I worked for Franklin American. And so I used to fly back and forth to Nashville and we had a lot of really good, you know, Raleigh, a lot of really good fun times there on Broadway. And before we moved to Colorado, we, Nashville was on the short list. So we actually went out and spent quite a bit of time and checked out the neighborhoods. And, and so, I mean, as an old musician, right, it would have been a great place to live, but but we settled here. And Tennessee is one of the few states that does not have an individual income tax. Yeah. Didn't know that. It doesn't, it doesn't have state income tax. No. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I knew Florida did it. And I knew like Wyoming did it. That's more there's no migration in Tennessee from a lot of coastal folks because of COVID, where they're saying, hey, I could increase my earnings by retaining my salary from San Francisco. Yeah. Go live near the Smoky Hills. Smoky Mountains. Mountains. It's Smoky Hills or something else. It works for me. You know what? It's temperate. They they smoke. The Smoky Hills are somewhere up near where AI lives in the in the foothills of Colorado <laughs> with uh, a certain legalized substance is what it's just. It's going to be snowy hills here tonight. So seven thousand feet and above, supposed to get yeah. snow. <laughs> but to put us back on track, yes, I'll, come I'll on. Talk business now, I suppose. Allison's sending me the high sun. Yeah. It's like put them back online. Yeah. Let's stay off the rails. Come on. We could do that. Yeah. Let's just talk about the Phillies and the Eagles. Now, let's just talk about Nashville. But I think, you know, coming out of the conference, so Nashville is one takeaway. Good town, fun town, crowded town. I think overall, maybe not that much surprising in kind of my sentiments coming out of out of the conference. I think 
overall probably fewer total lenders in, in attendance. And that's mm-hmm. not a dig at the NBA. I think that's just uh, you know, what's going on in the market and sign of the times. Mm-hmm. Of the times. Yeah. But those that were there are and maybe not surprising, are you know, it's a cautiously optimistic, like we've been through these waves before. We need to invest in something. We're going to change things up, and so it was more. It was a more engaged group of lenders, even though it's maybe smaller. At least in you know the the Maxwell side of things, less kind of kicking the tires on a lot of stuff, and more of actual plans of how you go do something in in our little narrow window of, of what we talked about. But I think you saw similar things in terms of the topics that were that were talked about too. Similar similar tune. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'd agree. The the folks, the lenders that were there, it seemed like they had much more of an agenda than in previous conferences I've been at in the last five, 10 years. And what I mean by that is like, well, one, you got to be saving costs right now. So if you're actually spending to have folks go to one of these conferences, you better believe that whoever's sending you is saying, we better have a return on that investment. And so it seemed like everyone said, hey, I, I have an objective and it's this, this, and this. Let's talk about it. Rather than, Alan, what you're talking about was, you know, in the past, a lot of folks were just kind of kicking tires and like learning and consuming. It was way different. The people yeah. that were there were, they wanted to come talk to you and they wanted to ask certain questions and they wanted to move you down the funnel or say, I'm moving on. And I thought that was really great. Brian, what were those questions? Because because you do make a, you do make a great point. A lot of times at conferences, people just go, they have a good time, they party, they they you know they see their sources. But but I have what what you're saying is very consistent. Just in talking to like kind of like my circle too, is people have said the same thing. What kind of questions? What kind of things were people looking for? I, so one of the ones that I found to be consistent were from non typical mortgage originators. Mm. So we had a few folks that were just hard money lenders come in and they had very specific questions about Maxwell's loan application and customization for the questions that they asked, which dramatically are different than, you know, a typical B2 borrower. There's just a, a, a lot different in hard money lending and documentation that you need and questions that you need. to ask. So they were really focused on finding the right partner for them based on the answers that folks would give. Luckily, we had some good answers for them. So that was that was one piece. Um, that's the one that's coming to my mind is the non-typical mortgage originators being very uh, thoughtful in their engagement with all of the exhibitors on if they're a good prospect to be partners or not. And they're ready to move on. If not, they're ready to engage if they were. That's interesting. What was the thought from people? And Alan, maybe, you know, you chime in too, is, is what was the thought on people like maybe entering the mortgage business? Maybe they've been thinking about it, or maybe they're trying to expand any, what did that look like? Any conversations around that? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, and again, I don't know if statistically significant of <laughs> saying that it's a trend, but there, there definitely are current non-lenders right now who are mm-hmm. looking to get into the mortgage space, which I think is is interesting because I think the way they're looking at it is, hey, we got work to do. Let's go build the foundations. Let's get involved because they know at some point the rates will go back down and they want to sure. be prepared for that volume. And, and I think the other interesting thing is like, even though volume's down right now, 
it's only down in for those that felt the high originally. And so net new people coming in, 10 incremental loans is 10 incremental loans that if they feel like they've got the, the strategy to go get those, like that's still net new, interesting to them and for their business. So it's, I think it's an interesting time there. So in short, I think there are people who are still looking at mortgage and saying, we want to get in that space and we think we can do it with interesting economics and, and make it profitable. So yeah, there's definitely new, new players in the space trying to, trying to get in. Cool. Alan, that's, so I want to answer AI's question, but before mm-hmm. I do on, on, on my experience, Alan, it just seems crazy for those who have been in the industry for a long, long time. Not that I have been, but others say, all right, are there a lot of non-lenders who want to enter mortgage? Like, what does that mean? And I know we talk about it a lot internally, but can you explain a little bit more of what, what you mean by these non-lenders believe they have economics in the mortgage space and want to enter. Is that like a brand new rocket mortgage coming out or a better.com? Like who are these folks and, and why are they messing with our industry? I mean, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a collection of people. I think it's, it's sometimes, uh, I think most of, most of who we've had conversations with uh, or met in the, in the conference were, They've got some business today that has a tangential benefit to start offering mortgage. Um, so whether that's in the real estate space or whether that is in other lending, there is they've got a network of people, they've got a user base, and now they're saying, "Hey, what if we started offering a mortgage experience?" And the benefits there being, "Hey, the individual economics are one piece of it, but then also just the user." Lifetime value. I was about to say LTV. I know that always. I always have a different definition of LTV, not loan to value. LTV of lifetime value, but keeping those customers involved in their product and on their um, in their in their core business has value. And so I think that's where we've seen, at least I've had the most conversations around, is that it's kind of that group of people. So not necessarily like launching something massively new of just purely a lending business, but is an expansion of their current business by starting to offer mortgage. So an example could be like a, a construction, a residential home construction company yeah. who says, oh, crap, I've got a captive audience here. Why don't I just spin up my own mortgage company instead of having preferred lenders just swoop in and take that? Money? Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know what? If you play it right and you take care of the client to begin with, and you know the old adage, right? You take care of one person, they tell 20. And that's really true. And so, and then I think you you look at the lenders who are very forward thinking, who are very technology focused versus, you know, people probably my age that aren't as technology focused. And so I think that they have some advantages in the marketplace too. They could be yeah. a lot more nimbler as they embrace that kind of tech to try and decrease, you know, increase their efficiencies and decrease their costs. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of positives there. And I think that the other thing that they have an advantage of. And I think this is this is not a you can't fight against it. But what what's interesting to them when mortgage isn't the core of their business, they're looking at when they look at that lifetime value of the customer, they're able to play a little bit more on what they're willing to give as rate and what they're willing to do for that borrower to get that mortgage and how competitive they can be because they don't need a certain profit margin on that mortgage. They're looking at this totality of a portfolio of all of their solutions and offerings. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one thing that, it's a good point, especially as newer entrants come in and, and more sophisticated current entrants, 
it's something we need to be the, that a lot of lenders I think need to be aware of is they've got different economics to play with in this space. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different approach than maybe if you're purely only selling mortgages. Alan, you're so right. Like if something is needed to change the economics and what a normal mortgage origination company does, because all they do is, is it's very transactional, super high, low comp, which has been a to- hot topic for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> operations costs, like, the margin that you're making on these loans in a normal time frame is pretty slim. Yeah. And right now it's like none. Yeah. And so when you have other companies looking at mortgage at a different economic cost basis or profit margin basis, that changes industries. Yeah. Because it's like, I mean, Rocket did that too. They completely changed the loan. In a different way. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a much different way. And so you, if you're, if you are a part of the business, that's probably more so an independent mortgage banker or a broker than banks and credit unions, because banks and credit unions have a lot of other products that they do, and mortgage is a piece of that. But an independent mortgage banker and a broker, all you care about is originations. Yep. Yeah. And you just want to churn as many as you can over and over and over. And so if somebody's taking that pie away from you or slice of that pie from you at a different cost basis. That's kind of scary. That's, hey, we're exiting October. We're in November. That's still spooky season. (laughs) Spooky season. That's a little spooky, right? So there are plenty of people trying to say, hey, I'm going to come eat lunch. (laughs) So it's super interesting for me to think about us, I think, as the industry, because the industry has been looking for something to say, how are we going to change the economics of this thing? And now... Alan, you just eloquently described how some of those folks are doing. But now, wait, before we go, before we go any farther, though, Brian, you just talked about spooky season. Yeah. So what else is spooky in this marketplace? Because the one thing that kind of scared the heck out of me, one of the headlines was, you know, Mike Frantioni's comments about volume and rates and stuff next year. And I would classify some of that as spooky. It kind of moved the market a little bit. What were you hearing? And before I answer on that, I have <laughs> I have to share some of the beef that I have about spooky. Uh, can't wait to hear this. Yes, there, I'm waiting. There, there are way too many <clears throat> TV shows and movies with spooky as the flavor that don't have a good ending. I'm not going to ruin mm. them for you, but there's like there's just so many of these scary movies or scary. I want you to ruin some. Give me one. Yeah, example. go ahead. Ruin. Yeah. Go ahead and just destroy a filmmaker's career. Are these are these on like the Hallmark Channel or something? No, for me, I did, I like I like to have closure at the end of a movie. But like, totally. if, you, if there's a you know like a murder documentary or something like that, and then like the very last episode, they're like it's still unresolved. Yeah, it's You're so underwhelming. Like, yeah. Waste my what, what have I been doing? Yeah. So I got some beef with that. Anyway, uh, we got to trash someone now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But back to the, you know, the economists and Mike Frettitoni. I thought it was kind of spooky. I didn't, I didn't listen to his his remarks, but I was talking with some folks who had, and they said he was uh, expressed that there's more layoffs to come. Yeah, and yeah. that honestly surprised me because if you haven't done that yet, and probably a couple of times. You're way behind. You're you're preparing for the winter months right now. If you haven't been, if you've been looking for an uptick in 
in volume in November, I, that's kind of odd to me. So if he is right, there's a lot of folks out there who haven't been looking at their business model maybe the way that they should have or ripped the Band-Aid off at a time that they could have. And I get it. This is These are people that might feel like family, and it's really hard to make these decisions to move on from some folks. But it's a business as well, and you got to protect the longevity of your business. And if you're waiting till November or December to make some of these changes, I'm afraid that they've dipped in the negative too long and too far. And by his remarks, it sounds like a lot of folks are still needing to do that. That was scary. So, I'm, I mean, Brian, to play devil's advocate, though, I think yeah. is there a view also that some people were waiting for a little more clarity and maybe a little bit more optimistic on what spring will bring and maybe weathering some of that cost until then for home buying season. I think just to be kind of completely straight up, the NBA forecast was maybe a little bit more rosy the past couple quarters. You know, obviously they weren't like it was still down, but maybe the most optimistic view of of how things were going to turn out. And maybe where people were a little just wanting to see a little more whether this trend continued or where it was really going to bake out. But I mean, I'm not, I don't disagree with you, but it's, it's, it it has been a little misleading on where this thing is really going to go potentially. I would agree with that. But you know, the interesting thing is, so later today we get the fed, we get the fed announcement. We all know what they're going to do. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do next month either. I feel like we need to start scheduling podcasts to be the day after around. I think this is our third podcast that has been like on on fed day. Yeah. Yeah, why don't we? We could just be smart and just do it the next day, so we can talk about it. Rather, we should just project on what it is. Let's. I will. I will. After the show, I will have a word with our producer, Allison. So this is not Allison. We do. <laughs> just trying so, to do that. Jump in real. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Ann. No, but what it does, it does, it does stand to reason though that if the Fed signals, you know, to Mike's point. If the Fed signals, hey, we're going to slow this down because we're starting to see some of these green shoots of inflation starting to back down, I have seen it in the past where the market does rally. So, you know, the curve will continue to invert. That's going to signal, you know, potential recession if we're down the road and then rates will start to decline and maybe we do have a good spring. I have seen it. So it could certainly happen. Yeah, I think it depends on how deep your pockets are. Mm. And, and how much loss you can take. Because the stats that we've seen is that at very best, you're breaking even right now. At very best. So a lot of folks are losing money every day. So if you're losing a million, two million, specifically if you're hedging and you're into those markets where your pipeline is decreasing, your hedge is getting crushed too. Oh yeah, right now. And so you're right now in a normal winter months, folks plan on losing money. We all like, most six months of the year, you make a ton of money. The other six months, you lose money and you wash out to hopefully make a decent net income. Mm-hmm. But right now, you're losing in ways greater than what you thought you would be losing. So it depends on how much you can stomach losing two million bucks a month. Or if you're smaller and you're losing 100, 200K a month, like how long can that last? Mm-hmm. And so Every month when you look at your PL and you say, shit, I just lost $2 million again. What am I doing? How or are you just sitting there saying, ah, maybe it'll change? Maybe, maybe the rates will decrease. Maybe spring will come in November. I don't know. I, I've never sat in those chairs and had my own 
like ownership in a mortgage company with the PL, but you have to have a really strong stomach to lose a ton of money every month and sit there and do the same thing that you thought you needed to do and not change. And that's that's I guess that's what's spooky to me is maybe, maybe I'm just like not confident enough in my own ability, like in maybe these CEOs and, and owners of companies say, hey, this is the way it works and we need to have a tough stomach and we need to just ride this out and not make changes. But when you look at your PL, there's <laughs> that's spooky, man. Yeah. You know, but people are still committed to the business, right? So so the folks that we have in the field on the on the SaaS side and on the correspondent side at Maxwell, you know, they're the story's really consistent in that, you know, the, the folks that are in it today are in it. They're looking for they're looking for a lot of different things. They're looking for new product. They're looking for new investors. They're looking for new vendor partners. And we've talked about all this stuff on this podcast before, but, but that stuff is continuing. And so the folks that, that are continuing to stay in it, they're in it. I mean, so yeah, unfortunately they've experienced some layoffs and they've had to, they've had to let a few people go, but I think the commitment to the industry is still there. hundred percent. No doubt about it. I think what I'm talking about is those underwriters who are doing five loans a month mm-hmm. and they're, they're twiddling their thumbs, they're bored. They're like, Oh crap. Maybe this, maybe this industry is taking a bad turn. And if I'm bored now, I'm looking over my shoulder. If I'll have a job tomorrow, I'm going to start looking for something else because I might not be confident that it'll turn around like my executives are. And so that's what I'm talking about. Makes and loan sense. officers, there's a there was a ton of loan officers who came in the market to take care of the volume and be order takers in 2020 and do these refunds who made a ton of money who are not experienced who are also leaving. And mm-hmm. so yeah, there's a natural attrition and then there's forced attrition. But if I just yeah, <laughs> I'll calm down. <laughs> okay. So so there was more news that came out of the NBA, right? While you guys are there. I'm sure you guys are front and center taking notes, sending it back home here to me. But, uh, but, you know, there were some announcements like on credit scoring by the FHFA. And, and you know, we just saw Freddie Mac just recently, you know, it's going to reduce some loan level price adjustments for first-time home buyers and median incomes less than less than 100%. What was the take on that? At positives, negatives, any comments? I, I mean, I think maybe we'll start with the, with the FICO FHFA update. I think to me, I feel like it's been a long time coming. Like <laughs> it, it, it all makes logical sense. Like in, in terms of getting a better sense of what is the likelihood of a borrower to repay. I think taking into things like bills and utilities is a better alignment on, are they going to pay the mortgage rather than their credit card payments. And so I think it it all makes sense to me. I feel like it's been a long time coming. Brian, I know you've been you've been pretty passionate about this, but um I think what's what's maybe underwhelming in it is when does it actually start making an impact? Like that, you know, it's going to take years, it feels like. I think they've already sent context that it's going to take years for it to start to to be fully adopted. And so I think it's 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 much needed and but I think uh, uh, the right trend, the right path for the for the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's it's unfortunate that it will take so long because that means that further innovation will take even longer. Yeah, which is needed yesterday. Yeah, but you're right; these things are really important. We need more data points 
in more people in this country to be able to lend properly to creditworthy people who are currently underserved. Yeah. And these data points are critical for the investors who own these mortgages to be able to predict conditional prepayment speeds, all, all of these pieces that are valued in the price of a mortgage. And so when you have areas of lending where you're uncertain, then the price goes up, right? It costs more to originate that loan. So getting more data points is vitally important to increase the amount of folks who can get mortgages and are credit worthy. And also it decreases the price because there's more stability in there. now. And there's trust in the system. There's more trust in the system. I think that's yeah. like yeah. one of the conversations we've always had is everyone is doing these checks on these data points. And then when it moves to the next person, they don't trust it. And a lot of that's good in a lot of ways of, of validating the, the process to make sure this is a, a credit worthy customer. But at some point, the real innovation in this industry gets to being where you just, there's, there's a data source and it's trusted throughout the process. Yeah. Um, and, and there's not a check on the trusted process. You know, it, it's just checking on the checking that, that just adds so much cost to this. I think, you know, a good result was what the FHFA just did and added yeah. the utilities and things like that. Yeah. I think that they're getting pressure in a good pressure, competitive pressure from the private market in like non-QM loans and how they're uniquely looking at the ability to repay. And so you look at folks who own Airbnbs and normal GSEs won't even like count that income as income. So a lot of these folks have to go and get non-QM loans, which rates are higher. There's worse terms of the GSE loans, but the investors on these non-QM loans have understood that these folks are credit worthy because they can calculate income differently. And so there's a lot of really good tools that say, hey, here's how you calculate income if you have income from, from rentals. And you know you have historical Airbnb data that you can point to, but the GSEs are like, man, I don't care. That's just not our bread and butter. I think this was what they, and AI, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. This might be something dumb to say, but I think that this is the first major change in the ability to repay in like 50 or 70 years. Yeah, I mean, it's been, to me, this is pretty big. They've had some tweaks and stuff along the way, but you know, everyone has their problems with the CFPB, whatever those are. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I actually think it's pretty big, right? Because they're, they're going to, hopefully this will expand home ownership. We have seen in most segments of the country, you know, the Northeast, I think, is the outlier. The Northeast is actually seeing pretty much a flat line on, on home values, but Midwest here in the Mountain West, West Coast, with the exception of Florida, a little bit sections of the South, home prices are definitely decreasing. So when you combine these positive changes to home prices decreasing, then we start to get more people into houses. And I think that's I think that's a plus, right? Yeah. Because again, it goes back to what I always preach. If you help someone get, get into their house and they're a first-time home buyer and you and you really work with them, they're going to tell everyone and they're going to be a client for life. And to your point, Brian, if I'm right about rates and they rally, <laughs> if you're doing non-QMs, we can refi. So great point. Right? Refi to an FHA. Mm-hmm. You could do that. There's a lot of things you could do. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the most exciting piece of this is the expansion of home ownership. And again, I think it's what's important is the view of this now is a new look at what is credit worthy 
and who is going to repay, who is able to repay. So this isn't, you know, getting into higher risk. This is just a more accurate view of who is going to be good for repaying that mortgage. And I think the benefits that hopefully will come from this is underserved communities, black households, I think is specifically called out in one of the articles of being the one of the biggest impacts here in the bil- ability to take rent payments into and uh, the kind of credit worthiness. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can get that, I know we talked about this on this podcast a lot, if we can make a dent in and starting to make an impact in these underserved communities, that's a massive win for the industry. It just opens the pool of, of a more accurate of what is the market out there rather than the view of what the market is today. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, like I said, I just, I actually, personally, I was excited by the announcements that came out. Yeah. So as I, as I was sitting home here underneath, cuddled underneath my blanket or whatever was happening. Hey, I sit by his fireplace, <laughs> cuddled up with some hot chocolate and his, and his, and his comfy hand, uh, handmade blanket, just listening, listening to the economists of the mortgage industry. Talk <laughs> yeah. about. Meanwhile, Brian and I are trying to avoid, uh, the mess that's in the street as we walk back from the conference to our hotel from <laughs> on, yeah. on Broadway Street. So. Well, what the hell time were you coming back? <laughs> early, man. Early. You still encounter it. That's that's my point of Nashville, man. Oh, so, man. You know, there. Crazy Horse is such a great place. And then there's a really cool, you have to wait in line. And so when when Janet and I were there a couple of years ago, we waited like two and a half hours in line, but it's called the it's called the Bluebird. And so it's really small and they have like church there, yeah, inside right? of it. Yeah, yeah. And so we like walk in and it was like, Janet, that kind of looks like Lucinda Williams, right? And she's like, it's because it is Lucinda Williams. And I'm like, you know, she's like one of the greatest singer-songwriters. We just happen to be waiting in line. She comes in and plays. So, wow. You know, we went there. Maxwell hosted... I forgot the conference, but it was probably 2019. And this was this, yeah, this was like TMC conference 2019 or something. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so we did uh we rented a like a shuttle bus and brought some some key customers and some prospects. And we kind of did a roadshow around Nashville, which was super unique and fun. We went and got Nashville cool place. Hot chicken at a place. We went to Bluebird. Luckily, we had to skip the line. And we got to go nice. right, right into the side, had her, got a drink. And you listen to these singer songwriters who have these massive, massive hits that are performed by other artists and you see them do their songs. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's incredible. That venue was really cool. It really uh, is. I'm glad you brought that up. They brought up a good memory the- the music in Nashville, I mean, I could just sit and talk about Nashville, like in the music and the Grand Ole Opry and the old Ryman. I mean, we've been fortunate to, to go to the Ryman and see bands. We saw Tedeschi Trucks there, which was really cool. It was, it was pretty smoking. And the quality of musicians that, are, that just reside in that town, that write tunes, that play, that sadly will never make it. That's the, that's the thing that's, that's kind of heartbreaking to me, right? Because there's so many good musicians there and so many good songwriters. So, but it's a great place, right? It is. It's just wild where, you know, each individual there with the talent that they have was by far and away the most talented person in their home. Yeah. And then they get surrounded by someone who is just like them talent wise and you never know what yeah. spark going to hit and they're going to sign a deal. And, but you get to go and see these folks and it's just jaw dropping. It, it's funny at our event, we, 
I was having a really good conversation with somebody and all of a sudden I heard a song and I, you know, when you hear those songs that you just say, I got to stop everything and listen to this. Yep. yep. I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. This is great, but I need to watch this person perform right now. <laughs> I did that probably too many times and hopefully I didn't make anybody mad, but th- th- it's just undeniable how, how proud it is. Yeah, I agree with that. So, and next year, I'm personally very excited about where the venue is. It's in the city of brotherly love, my hometown. Is it? Is it really? It's in Philadelphia. Wow. So oh, we man. should get we should get a bus, and we should all go out to mom's house. Mom will make pasta and sauce. And we we uh, we can also we can also get some things. we can also get some Philly burritos along the way. Philly burritos. What have you have, what? <laughs> so no, I don't know if this no, thing. No. I thought this was a thing. I had. No, it's not a correspondence with no, 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 no. Philly burrito, a Philly burrito, supposedly is never. I've never enjoyed one myself. Philly cheesesteak, and then you get you get the massive New York style slice, and you wrap it. (laughs) You wrap it around the Philly cheesesteak. No, that must be a new innovation since I left Philadelphia. That's not happening. We're it sounds like gyms? something. It sounds sounds like something you invented late night coming <laughs> from a show in Philadelphia. We're yeah. going to no. We're going maybe to gyms, maybe we're maybe you don't dinner. maybe you don't maybe you don't remember it, but maybe you were the inventor of the Philly burrito. Well, there are many things that I don't remember sometimes coming out of Philadelphia, but yeah, we're well aware. Yeah, <laughs> right. See, yeah, fire game, 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 Philly games. Go, go around. <laughs> Philadelphia's a great town. Yeah, it could be fun. So it, it, it'll definitely be fun, but uh, we're, we're digressing here. So what else guys, give me some more love and attention from the conference. AI, man, you're just so jealous that we went. It sounds I am. I just, I want to know every detail, every spooky detail. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think from the exhibit hall, it was interesting to see so many new faces, new company logos that have entered in this space. So you, just like Alan was talking about with more folks getting into the origination side, there's more companies migrating over to mortgage. A lot of them uh, seem to be, you know, AI, ML, or whatever yep. those acronyms are, machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence, OCR, ICR, all those companies are kind of migrating across into mortgage because there's a lot of documents in mortgage. So yeah. And some folks come from insurance land, medical land into into mortgage. So that was kind of fascinating. Be interesting to see who sticks it or sticks around. And then you got a lot of innovators who are who are making some fun stuff happen. So a lot of really good vendor to vendor type of conversations, and they're all eager to build partnerships and and to really understand the market in a different light. So that was that was pretty fun for me to experience. Man, they continue to streamline some of the stuff. I mean, it's just it's it's kind of ridiculous because we do have there there is a ton of great technology out there. We have a lot of it here. Shameless plug for Maxwell, but it's true. And the reality is is it's still paper driven. So it's there's so many manual processes, and I think you guys have said it earlier here. There's so many manual processes and checking of the checker and stuff and checklists. And and while some of that stuff is cool, we should be able to automate it. I mean, hey, so man, I, I got to call it out. I got to be devil's advocate now. Go ahead. You got a printer behind you. I see it. I do oh. have a printer behind me. <laughs> do not tell Andrew, our head of product. He will kill me. He <laughs> says to me, AI, because there's no printers. At Maxwell HQ, and there I'm is, walking around. A and walking around. 
for one. There's a secret like, printer. What's wrong with it. you? Right? <laughs> so, but yes, I do have one. I like my printer. It's kind of like my my homemade blanket that I was laying under mm. while you guys were having fun on Broadway. Mm. The printer makes me feel warm and warm and fuzzy. Right? Okay. Sometimes it feels right good to call Grass right next to my guitar. So one day, one day during this pod, I will hit a very loud power chord. I mean, hey, you could <laughs> use the printer as a percussion instrument and you know, you go. a little nice little beat. I actually have e-drums down in my basement. I could hook everything all up together. <laughs> yeah, who needs a hi-hat when you have a when you have a printer? <laughs> so one of these days I'll play one of my tunes. That's as long as Allison, our producer, lets me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we're gonna have to align on the song of what you're gonna what you're gonna be what you're gonna oh, be playing on here. It's gonna be either Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin. I'm in for both, man. <laughs> I'm in for both. You would have you would have had me at Leonard Skinner though for oh. instant approval on the podcast, but absolutely Leonard Skinner would work, man. Give me three steps. <laughs> so in regards to the opposite of paper printing, do you want to talk about this uh uniform appraisal data set that got announced as well? No. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. We could, you know, I think I think that the thing is, is like with with that piece, it's going to give us it's going to give us a little bit of appraisal transparency, right? It's going to give the public access to aggregate and anonymize. I can't even say that. What the hell word is that? Anonymized appraisal data, I think, is good. But I think one of the things that it will do is, is again, we always talk about underserved communities, and I I do think that it will allow folks to kind of monitor some of these trends, you know, and so my hope is, is by the implementation of it, it'll even up that playing field, especially for underserved communities. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about that. That's, that's kind of my opinion. No, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from Mm -hmm. it. I think it's at least, you know, completely transparent, uh, transparently. I'm not the most familiar with the maybe current problems it's solving, but I can understand that if this is more publicly accessed data, we can notice those trends and shine a light on them a little easier rather than being buried under literal snoops of paper. But. Yeah. And appraisals are, I mean, you know, they're 15 pages long, 20 pages long, depending on how many comps and all yeah. the rest of the adjustments and stuff like that. So believe it or not, that it actually, the appraisal piece has actually gotten longer since from the, t- from the initial, you know, the early days when I first got in the business to now, I think it's even harder. So, yeah. And we've lost appraisers. So yeah, they've gotten they, out yeah. of the business, right? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the the workforce was shrinking last I saw, and mm-hmm. then the workforce was unbelievably overworked in the last two years too. So, yeah, yeah, cool. So, and I think you know there were some other things too. I think there were some affordable housing initiatives that came out, like related to manufactured homes, which I think yeah, that one was interesting too. I mean, there's obviously a trend there of of those kind of three announcements of maybe sort of relook at um, what the market is and and some. I don't know if it's injustices, but just some some areas that we need improvement in the process today. It'll be it'll be interesting. I think the manufactured housing one is we'll see how big of an impact it has, but um, it's I think it has the right spirit behind it of what of what it's trying to accomplish. But. It does, and and I agree with that. I think the loan limit increase will be good. I think making sure on the like on the zoning piece of it, right? Because there's always this yeah. right, wrong, or indifferent. There's this negative 
uh, stigma attached to manufactured housing. And that's not a good thing. Just because yeah. just because you live in a double wide doesn't mean, you know, you're a bad borrower or a bad person. So I think you have to yeah. kind of take away that stigma and work with the local zone, you know, municipalities to kind of take away some of those zoning restrictions. Yeah. So right? shout out, shout out to a past episode we did with Richard Rothstein who's an author, uh, the book Color of Law. I think he, we touched on that a little bit. And if you haven't read the book, it's worth reading. It just shows the history of redlining to basically the segregated America. And zoning is a massive part of this more equal housing, affordable housing, equal benefits of home ownership that is holding us back today. And I think the tough thing is there's a little bit of a pill to swallow in if you're going to go down that path of a current adjustment of what is your neighborhood, your area, but the benefits of it, if you do some of the research and, and listen to some of the thought leaders on it, there's huge community benefits. If we kind of relook at how things are zoned today and, and how um, the, the kind of limitations that exist today based on housing. Yeah, I think there are. I mean, we, you know, I don't see much of it. I remember, you know, when I was traveling through the, through the Northwest, you see a lot of that, like in like in Oregon, for example, but yeah. out east where I'm from, definitely manufactured housing is a big thing, you know, in middle parts of Delaware and the southern parts of Delaware. Definitely. So, I mean, and again, those are nice communities. They can be nice communities and they're good borrowers and they're good yeah. people. So yeah. I think we have to find ways to, to, you know, to continue to make that to make that approval. So yeah. anyway, well, I'm getting the high sign from Allison. So she's uh-huh. um, she's she's saying. Shut up, Anthony. Well, okay. Let's give let's give a quick <laughs> quick scorecard, Brian. Yeah. Trevor, what do you what are you giving? Let's give some straight up honest feedback. Oh, right God. away. Here it comes. How, how are we doing? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a pretty good score. I think you did a nine. Hey, I think I'm gonna give you Here a nine comes. as well. And oh. the best part about it is, I think you did so well that you're just gonna do this every episode. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> Only if I get to play my guitar. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll make that trade off. The listeners might not like that trade off, but we'll, uh, it's, it's, it makes Alan happier. So that'll work. Okay. Excellent. So, well, uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening to another episode of Clear to Close. That one is in the books. One quick shout out we are hosting a webinar with the Mortgage Collaborative titled Planning for 2023, How to Recoup Revenue, Save Costs, and Drive Loan Volume in an Uncertain Market. This will be on Thursday, November 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific time, if you cannot do that. So uh, we'd love to see you there. Feel free to register by popping over to the Mortgage Collaborative's website. And we'll also on our social uh, networks, uh, Maxwell will be sending out links to register as well. So we'd love to see you there. And hopefully we can add some value guys think about 2023 planning. But until then, happy learning, everybody. Yeah, man. Take her easy. Arrivederci. See everybody.